Pam, thank you for leading us. And, and Harry, thank you too for, for leading us into, into God's presence. Um, I've been given a massive task this afternoon, which is to speak on the subject of holiness. And in the context of our sermon series, to speak on our identity um, as a holy people. And this is just a massive theme. We could be doing weeks and weeks on the subject of holiness. The word holy and its derivatives appears apparently 850 times in the Old Testament. Uh, hagios, the, the New Testament Greek word, appears 150 times in the New Testament. So holiness straddles the whole of God's revelation, Old Testament and New Testament, uh, from Moses who took off his sandals at the burning bush because he was standing on holy ground. Uh, through Isaiah in his call in Isaiah chapter six, um, where he meets with the holy God, right the way through to the book of Revelation, where the whole company of heaven cries, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. Um, we might say that holiness is like the long mind of scripture. <laughs> it's a high mountain range. Uh, it's exhilarating to walk on and it stretches the whole of scripture from Genesis right the way through uh, to Revelation. Um, so I feel daunted really to be asked to speak on the subject, but I, I'm also pleased to speak on it. Um, and before I read the scripture, can I just say I'm pleased to read on, read, uh, preach on the subject of holiness uh, for a couple of particular reasons. And the first is this, that holiness is always a feature of revival. Holiness is always a feature of revival. We've just been singing, revival is coming. Uh, I long for nothing more than revival. Um, and I want to say, Lord, I don't want revival to come the year after I die. You know, <laughs> I want to be around when we're talking about revival in the United Kingdom. And nearly every revival that's happened in the course of Christian history has had holiness at its core. Every revival has been a holiness movement. Often the first sign that revival is on its way is that the church starts yearning for holiness. And then again and again, the main evidence of revival in the history of the church has been a deep repentance, a deep turning from sin, a longing for purity, a desire to live in the light, to stay clean before God and before one another. And the history of revivals, and I love reading histories of revivals, are full of stories of people repenting, believing in the Lord Jesus, and that belief making a transforming difference in their lives. Yeah. Um, it's said of the Welsh revival in 1904 that the pit ponies would no longer understand the instructions of the people who worked them. They just stood standing there because the the the, the uh, the miners no longer use swear words. And the pit ponies only understood swearing. Uh, but the revival spirit of purity had removed that. Well, it's humorous, isn't it? And yet it makes a superb point 
the pit ponies wouldn't move because there were no swear words. So I want to say if holiness is a feature of revival, I want to know all about it. And I can't hear the amens. I can't see the thumbs up, you know. Uh, but if holiness amen. is with revival, then I want to know all about it. God bless you, Shona, the evangelist amongst us. And then the second thing is a more sober thing uh, to say about why I'm pleased to speak on the subject of holiness. is that I think unholiness is the greatest threat to the church's life and mission. The unholiness is the greatest threat to our life and to our mission. The problem for our life and mission isn't unholiness in the world and how we like to look out condemning uh, evil and unholiness around us. I think the real problem of unholiness is, um, I've got all sorts of things coming on my screen. Um, the real problem is unholiness um, within us um, and between us. Unholiness that eats away at our passion, that eats away at our faithfulness, that eats away at our moral integrity. An unholiness that therefore spoils our witness. Are you with me? And it spoils our witness either because we become no different to the world around us. So all that people see when they look into, a, into the church is a slightly religious form of what they see in the golf club or in the workplace or around them in their community. Or worst of all worlds, it spoils our witness because people see worse things happening in the church than they see in the world around us. And they see more judgmentalism and more disunity and more disharmony and more ugliness. Because somehow unholiness has caused a rottenness at the heart of the church. So I long for revival. So let's think about holiness. But I worry about unholiness actually being the kind of rot at the heart of the church that spoils our witness. And we need to be alert to that. But more significantly, we need to be pressing into holiness. This is the enemy's big tactic to come to a holy nation and make us unholy. And we need to be alert to the enemy's uh, schemes, but we also need to be pressing into holiness so the enemy has not a chance against what's happening amongst us. Um, so can I read the scripture, which is Ephesians chapter 1, it's verses 3 to 6. I'm then just going to pray uh, that the Lord will speak to us, and then I've got a few things to say from the scriptures. So it's Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 to 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, 
which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Father, we thank you for your spirit-inspired word. And we pray now, Lord, that your spirit will speak your word into our hearts and into our lives and into our church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, good, good. Here we are, four biblical truths about holiness. Four biblical truths about holiness. And the first is this, that the call to holiness is our highest privilege. Christian disciples, Christian church, the call to holiness is our highest privilege. And we've just read in the few verses in Ephesians chapter one of some of the astonishing privileges that come our way as the people of God. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. We've been chosen from before the creation of the world. We've been adopted into the family of our Lord Jesus Christ and made his children. We've been, verse seven, redeemed, which means rescued. We've been forgiven. All his grace has been lavished upon us. What a privilege to live a life that's characterized by all of those things. So why in all of that would I say that holiness is our highest privilege of all privileges? Uh, there's so many privileges, but why is holiness the highest privilege that is there for us? And it's simply this, that it, has our, it is our call to be holy as God is holy. That's why it's our highest privilege because we're being called to be what God is. And what higher privilege is there than that? Holiness is the sum of who God is. Holiness isn't an attribute of God. Holiness is the essence of God. It includes the whole of God in everything that sets him apart from us as creatures Everything that defines his divinity, his godliness, and we get called to be like he is. Yeah, does that get your heart pounding a little bit, your feet dancing a little bit? What privilege that we get called to be holy as God is holy. Somebody said, uh, what does holiness look like? It looks like God. What does holiness look like? It looks like God. To be holy is to be godly, to value what God values, to speak as God would speak, to reflect God's very being. And of astonishingly, this side, of course, of the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ, we get to know what God looks like. Being a holy people, being a holy church looks more like Jesus. And we get the privilege of being more like our Lord and our Saviour. And the astonishing thing is that he doesn't just command this of us or expect this of us. He actually helps us to be holy as he is holy. He helps us to be like him. Um, and I guess some of the songs we've just been singing were about that. The victory belongs to him. <laughs> it's God's work in us and in the church 
before ever it's our work and our accomplishment. It's something that God does. Firstly, by deeming us to be holy, imputing his righteousness would be the theological uh, language. After he's removed our sin by dying for it upon the cross and giving us his forgiveness, he deems us to be holy and righteous. We're not, but that's a righteousness that he imputes to us. And then he doesn't just deem us to be righteous and holy, but he actually makes us progressively more like Jesus. Have you noticed that happening in yourself? That as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Friends, never tell me that the Holy Spirit is only around when miracles happen. Never tell me that he's only around when we feel good on the inside. The Holy Spirit is around when he's getting to work on unholiness and unrighteousness in our lives, and he is making us more like Jesus. And, you know, sometimes that doesn't feel good. Like a piece of wood probably doesn't feel good when the um, uh, sandpaper or the chisel is being applied to it. But the outcome is something which is more like the character and personality of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is astonishing privilege, isn't it? Give me the thumbs up again. This is astonishing privilege that we get to be godlike that we get to be like Jesus, that our life's journey is into a greater conformity to the identity, the purity, the holiness, the beauty of our Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. Gosh, I took a long time over the first one, didn't I? But here's the second one, that because holiness is our highest privilege, living holy lives, is our first calling. Living holy lives is the first calling upon us. This is what we read in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. For he, that is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, chose us in him, that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now hear this, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. He, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. For what purpose? To be holy and blameless in his sight. Friends, from before the creation of the world, this has been God's calling to us, to be holy and blameless in his sight. As God looked forward from that point of the origin of all things, he looked to a people who would be like him upon the face of the earth, who would be holy and blameless in his sight. That's what he purposed. And he purposed a church, which Peter beautifully says in 1 Peter chapter 2, would be a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, and you complete it with me, a holy nation, a holy nation. It is the first calling upon us who are in the Lord Jesus Christ and who are within the family of his church to be a holy nation, which doesn't mean, as some might say, that we therefore relegate every other part of the Christian life because we're pressing into holiness. So we say, well, I don't have to be a good spouse. I don't need to put my effort into being a good father or a good mother or a good child. I don't need to witness to Christ in the workplace because I'm pressing into holiness. That's a higher priority. That's not what it means that holiness is the first calling on our lives. What it means is that we press into holiness in every single part of our lives. Are you with me? That there's no part of our lives which is devoid of the call to press into holiness so that we're holy in our thought lives. We're holy in the marriage bed. We're holy in the way that we live in our families. We're holy in the way that we treat strangers. We're holy in the way that we act towards the poor. We're holy in the way that we serve a sister and a brother within the family of the church. We're holy in the way that we use our money. We're holy in the way that we look after our bodies. We're holy in the way that we set out to share our faith. That's what it means. That's what it means. That holiness is the first calling. That in every single part of our lives, we seek to be holy. And I don't want to go off on a too long a diversion here. But if in the Old Testament, it's pretty clear that things become holy the nearer that they are to God. So if you're in the temple, you're in a more holy place. If you're near a prophet, you're a bit holier. And that spills over into the New Testament as well. And it spills over into our lives, which means that the closer that we are to God, the more holy we will be as we invite the Holy Spirit to fill our lives. And then how wonderful that when we walk the streets of Telford, when we go into the workplace, that we sprinkle a bit of holiness around us. Yeah, does that make sense? That because God is in us, and we take God closer into the lives of people around us, then astonishingly and wonderfully, other things get to be holy as well. Friends, holiness isn't just the highest privilege of our lives. It is the first calling upon our lives and has been from before the creation of the world. And of course, the commonly held view about holiness is that it's deeply boring. Um, or if it's not boring, it's terribly restrictive. It's all about do's and don'ts that repress people rather than release people. So we hesitate to speak about holiness because people around us think it must be deathly and deadly. So that's why the third point is this, that holiness is deeply attractive. 
holiness is deeply attractive and it's unholiness that is repellent. Is that right? It's unholiness that is repellent. But Jesus-like and God-like holiness is wonderfully attractive. And it draws people towards us rather than repelling them. And it draws people towards us collectively when the church is living in holiness rather than in half-heartedness or in downright sinfulness. And, you know, one of the reasons why the church isn't growing is because it is not holy. There's nothing there to draw. There's nothing there to attract. Uh, C.S. Lewis once said, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. And Rowan Williams, the last Archbishop of Canterbury, in one of his lovely books says this, holy people make you feel better than you are. The holy person somehow enlarges your world, makes you feel more yourself, opens you up, affirms you. So why is holiness attractive? I think holiness is attractive simply because it is God-shaped and God-filled. Holiness isn't about being religious. It's not about do's and don'ts and Phariseeism and all the other stuff that can invade the life of the church. It's about having some of God's goodness in us. It's about having lots of God's love in us. It's about having some of the fun and joy of Jesus in us. Where's the fun gone in the church? It's about being filled with a lot of heaven. It's about having a big dollop of Jesus living within us individually and within us as a church community. And why would that not be attractive? Tell me. Why would that not be attractive? And let me tell you, that's exactly what the world is desperate for. The world is desperate for goodness. The world is desperate for love. It's desperate for integrity. It's desperate for a real peace that invades difficult circumstances. That's what the world craves. And so to see it in us, to see it in Telford Minster, will, let me tell you this, get people flocking. That's what's going to cause people to come to Telford Minster. Not our style, not even Harry's fantastic music. You know, not even this great million pound building. And they're not, they're peripheral friends. They're not going to attract anybody. Or if they do, it'll be for a little while until they get bored with it. But what's going to attract people is holiness. People are going to be attracted to come where God is, where they find him, where they're loved. And where they're drawn into something that they'll find nowhere else on the face of planet Earth. Simon Ponsonby from St. Aldous Oxford in a book about holiness says this. And then I'll come to my fourth point. Then we finish. He says any form of holiness that leads to someone looking like they just drank a gallon of vinegar is not biblical holiness. 
It's more like Pharisaism. The church has lost something of the notion of holiness as happiness. We need to look like Jews celebrating Sabbath, the holiest of times, linking arms and dancing in the streets. Home turned into a place of wonder and mystery and glory. How much more should the church now celebrate holiness joyfully, knowing that the Messiah has come? And in one day by his death for us at Golgotha has taken away all our sin. Highest privilege. First calling upon our lives from before the creation of time. Um, deeply attractive. And finally this. And, and don't, if you've switched off, off, switch back on again. Okay. The point number four, which is this. The holiness is wonderfully transforming. Holiness is wonderfully transforming. And it's transforming not only for us, but we become a transforming force in the world around us. And I think for too often we've thought that fragile was that sorry, that holiness was a fragile thing that we somehow have to protect and cosset. Mustn't get too near the world. Mustn't get too near sin, because if we do, it's going to make us unholy. Does that, do you recognise that attitude? And some churches have taken that to an absolute limit and put big walls around the church because they're so worried that the unholiness of the world will infect the holiness of the church. Let me tell you it's the other way around. That holiness is much more robust than unholiness. <laughs> Watch out, world. We have got the COVID-19 strain of the coronavirus. Okay. We've got something that is much more infectious than sin. So it's the world around us. If they don't want, if they don't want holiness, they need to put their masks on. Because we've got we've got the virus of holiness. And when that gets out into the world, that will make a difference. When we keep it behind walls, when we're so worried about the evil of the world that we don't dare to visit it, then we've got a problem. But when we turn out confidently, carrying our holiness into the world, then therein is hope for the transformation of the kingdoms of this world into the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. We get to infect the world with the things of God. We get to infect the world with the life of God and the purity of God and the beauty of holiness. So that this sad and fallen and bruised and broken world might get healed and restored and get its life back. So a final quote, and then I'm going to finish. Calvin, Calvin T. Samuel, whoever he is, said this. We must model an offensive rather than a defensive posture. Rather than viewing holiness as a fragile flower needed to be protected, in an inhospitable climate of godlessness and disbelief, we might just start to see it 
as a light which always has the power to pierce the darkness. Never underestimate what a little bit of light or bleach or holiness can do. Okay, we've been walking on the long min of scripture. And we've seen that a call to holiness is our highest privilege because to be holy is to be more like God, more like the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the first calling on our life in every part. And it has been from before the creation of the world. It is deeply attractive because it is God-shaped and God-filled, and what's more attractive than that? And it is wonderfully transforming. So Telford Minster, are we in? Are we in on this? Are we in for revival? We're in. We're definitely We're in. in. Are we in? <laughs> Holiness. Yeah, we're in. Yeah, we do. We do. We do. And spread the virus of goodness and purity and love. Lord, invade us, please, with your Holy Spirit. Come right into the core, the centre of our lives. Lord, bleach us by your Holy Spirit. Cleanse us by your Holy Spirit. 